Now, one more thing. Before Christmas, we did something fun with the Children of America. I asked any parents watching the show to wrap a uh, terrible Christmas gift, give it to their kids, and then tape their reaction when they open the gift. <laughs> we got a lot of great videos. We put them together, and it became a huge hit online. The video's been viewed more than 15 million times on YouTube alone. And the crazy thing is, even though we're finished with this before we left for break on December 15th, people continued to do this to their children. <laughs> And posted online. Hundreds more videos were posted online after we left. So once again, we went through them and picked the best of the worst kids. And here now is the aftermath of our YouTube challenge. It's called, Hey Jimmy Kimmel, I Gave My Kid a Terrible Present Part 2. Here's the one present you get to open for Christmas. Merry Christmas! Keeps her armpits smelling good. She's gonna get here. Are you happy? Do you like your Christmas present? I am. <laughs> what? What is it? Well, why'd you throw it on the floor? It's a Barbie! You broke my heart. Go ahead. Hopefully they got it right. <laughs> they screwed it up? It's supposed to be Hester. How much you like soup? No. No. What is this? It's a sponge. I want a car. A car, yeah. Maybe on Christmas Day Santa will bring you a car. <laughs> oh, what's the matter? Don't you like broccoli?
Well, thanks, everyone. Sorry, now stop it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Man, I got to be honest. I love Potato Kid. I don't know his name, but uh, Potato Kid is great. So um, I want to talk with you this morning about uh, Emmanuel, God with us, what that means to me. And I thought I'd have some fun with it because really we're celebrating this uh, season of Christmas and giving. And um, all of us can relate to one or two of those kids. Um, I know I can personally. Um, I remember very vividly, and I'm going to share a memory with you uh, in just a moment. As a kid, um, I don't know, it was in the 80s. You'll probably be able to maybe guess the decade by the hairstyle when it pops up. Um, Okay. All right, we'll keep rolling. So uh, as a kid, uh, we used to get some really cool things, and then we would get some really horrible things. Um, we would go to family Christmas parties, and my grandmother would give these amazing, lavish gifts to my cousins, and uh, we didn't go very often because we, we didn't have a great relationship with that side of our family. Uh, they were very antagonistic that we went to church, and uh, we would go to Christmas Eve service, and they'd say, well, Christmas Eve is supposed to be for family, and well, we felt that we should be in church and celebrating the birth of Christ, and uh, so we would go there. So one year, we ended up not having a Christmas Eve service. So we went to uh, our family party, and I'm watching. All my cousins are opening these gifts, and one got a camera, and this one got a video game, and someone got a movie, and I was excited. I was like, this is going to be awesome. So this box rolls over to us, and we open it up, and it's nothing but socks and uh, underwear and like this really horrible blanket. That was, uh, I don't even know where it came from. But I'm, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm going, oh man, this is miserable. But then, this happened. Uh, that Christmas, what I'm opening is a Voltron toy. I don't know if any of you remember Voltron. Yeah. So you could just see the, like, the sheer joy and excitement in my face. Like, that's me, if you're wondering. That's me as a kid. Uh, you can see the super tinselly, sparkly garland tree in the background. Uh, but that's one of my favorite pictures. And that's a, a memory that I have, that I will always have. And I think about when Christmas time comes, what uh, this gift that Christ has given us, this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, coming uh, in the form of man to dwell with us and to die for us and all that stuff. And I, I think now I look back and I see this, and, and this, this is how my heart feels. There's this joy, there's this hope, there's this excitement. I do remember one other gift that um, I got a little bit later in life. Um, is anybody familiar with Schoolhouse Rock? So, I love Schoolhouse Rock. Back, I don't know, there was a, a, an album that came out, it was called Schoolhouse Rock Rocks. And it was a bunch of new artists that had redone all the Schoolhouse Rock songs, and that's what I wanted one year. And I didn't get that. I almost did. I got like the original Schoolhouse Rock on cassette. And it was pretty cool. But even to this day, I still have one song that's continually stuck on repeat in my head. And if you ever wonder what it's like to live with ADD, it's like walking down the road and you just start going, Rufus, Xavier, Sasparilla, found a kangaroo, and now it is his butt. I know all my pronouns. So thank you to Rufus, uh, Xavier, Sasparilla, and his pet kangaroo. He also had a sister... I think she found a hippo or something, and 
his and ours and it and all that other fun stuff. So we were tasked in one of our staff meetings as we come into the, the Christmas season to share with uh, you what we feel that God with us represents on a personal level. So this morning, I want to look at two bits of scripture. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to jump into our text for the day. But these are three things that I really feel that God with us really stands out to me. Our first text this morning, this is a classic Christmas text, is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. And that's repeated in Matthew chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And this Emmanuel, this, this, this God with us, this Christ child, this is Jesus Christ, the one who came to earth to live with mankind. He ministered, he taught, performed miracles. Showed his power over nature, over healing, over sickness, over death, over matter. Faced temptation, grief, suffering, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, pain, anguish. All of this leading to his death on the cross. is a perfect sacrifice to restore a broken relationship between God and us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 5. I was joking with Mike about what the text was this morning for our our sermon, my sermon, and uh, the classic Christmas text of Romans chapter 5. It's not really, but maybe at the end it will be. So if uh, if you'd like to stand to read, you you can. If you want to stay seated, you you may as well. No pressure here. But this is what it says in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through who also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I pray, Father, thank you. This is usually. the toughest times of the year for me. So I just pray that you would allow me to speak clearly. Open our ears and hearts. Draw us close to you. Lord, help us to see this morning what God with us can mean. The power that it has. Emmanuel. So, Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Mike, it's not your fault this year. You didn't do a whole holy night, and I'm still up here choking up. There's three things I want to talk to you about this morning. 
You can fill them in on your notes now, and then they'll be popping up, and you can go through. But the first thing that I feel God with us represents to me is this peace with God. This opportunity to have this relationship with God that's restored. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, as people, experience communication barriers every day. Um, with texting, email, phone calls, cell phones are such an uh, amazing part of our lives, but they're infuriating. Right? No battery, no signal, no Wi-Fi, the modem won't work, I can't get it to connect, I can't communicate, my battery's dead. My wife and I joke, we text each other back and forth, and sometimes I don't see her text messages right away. Sometimes I do, and she knows I do, because it says at the bottom red, which I can't figure out how to turn off. (laughs) Thank you. She'll say, good thing I'm not dead in a ditch somewhere. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're right, because I wouldn't know. But at the same time, it's not very, like, let's see. Her phone's not always charged. So it's a good thing I'm not dead in the ditch somewhere as well. But we have these communication barriers. We have these gaps. We have these uh, opportunities that we, we try to communicate to someone, we try to interact with someone, and we just can't do it. And that causes frustration. There is a frustration that comes from being separated from someone. There's an anxiety. And I, I know my wife feels it, and I'm sure if you have a spouse or a close friend or a relative, you try to call them, and they don't answer. And you try to call them, and they don't answer. Or you pick up your phone, and you look at it, and there's 15 missed calls. And your immediate thought is, there's got to be something wrong. Sometimes it's just, my daughter got the phone, and she just kept hitting the button. Sometimes it's because there really is an issue. Hey, I can't get the coffee pot to work. What's going on? That's a big deal in our house. It really is. <laughs> it's, it's a big deal. But we have a separation. Why is that such a problem? Well, what I want to submit is that it's a problem because we're separated from the things that we know and love. Whether it's a family member, a friend, a relationship, it doesn't seem to matter. We're separated from it. And in the same respect, we are separated from God. Can you remember what it felt like when you were disconnected from God? For some of us, maybe it's been so long ago, I, I don't even know. We forget what that's like. I was saved at a really young age. As a, as a young person, I was a sparky, I don't know, eight years old, nine years old. I don't remember what being separated from God felt like as a seven-year-old. I knew when my mom and dad talked to me about hell and about Christ and about salvation, I knew that that was what I needed. It was something I needed to respond to. I felt it inside of me, and I knew that this was a commitment I was willing to make because I needed to. But I can't, I can't think back. I don't think I was a murderer. I don't think I was a drug addict. I was seven years old. For some of us, it's really hard to remember what it was like to be disconnected from God. Now... I can't imagine what it must feel like to be disconnected from God. 
But there's some of you here that remember. I remember the old me. I remember what it felt like back. I remember what it felt like when there was this barrier between me and God and there was no hope and there was no joy and there was, there was nothing there. And we walked through Christmas and we celebrated Jesus, but we didn't know what it meant and we were more interested in this because it had zero impact on me as a person. Because there was no relationship. There was no, no life-giving uh, spirit indwelling us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, talks about how Jesus destroyed that barrier. And this is what it says. It says, Because God wanted all fullness to be found in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Him, everything in heaven and everything on earth, by making peace through His death on the cross. There's that word again. Peace. Through His death on the cross. This is what it says. You were once estranged have hostile intent through your evil behavior. Now he has reconciled you by his death and in that mortal body to bring you before himself holy, faultless, and irreproachable. These are before and after moments. And everybody in this room has before and after moments. Keyshawn, before you were married, right? Before I had kids, before I went to college, before I was this, before I did that, sometimes it's happy stuff, right? I'm super happy that I'm married. Before I got married, I was just, eh, whatever, I don't care. I, I still guess kind of that's stuck in me a little bit. I'm more of like a fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing, living out loud. That's what my, what my wife calls it. I live out loud. I'm okay with that. She probably would prefer that after marriage, I would be a little bit more of a rule follower and set goals and I don't know. I'm not a perfectionist. I don't like to tie my shoes. I just, it, there's way more important things in the world to do. They're on, right? At least they match. <laughs> Before and after. Before and after isn't always happy. Christmas was different before my father passed away. It was different before sickness. It was different before this. It was different before estranged relationships. It was different before sorrow. It was different. But the after is always the same. Before Christ, after Christ, there's peace. And Paul points out that we were evil and hostile towards God. And we're sitting, we're thinking, am I really an evil, hostile person? Yeah, I mean, really, if you really boil down to what you were before Christ and to maybe what you struggle with now and you look at it and you go, what is my life like without Christ? It's pretty gross. Does that make you a bad person? Listen, bad people do good things every day. But the inside of you, the depths of who you are without Christ is evil. It's hostile towards God. And that's a tough pill to swallow because nobody wants to look in the mirror and go, man, that thing, that person that's standing back at me, that is a monster. We do good things, but we don't always do good things. And without the Spirit, we don't have that ability to look at it and go, man, I want my motives to be right. I want my heart to be right. I want my desires to be right. Peace with God brings that. What does God with us mean to me? It means we were enemies, and then we had peace. A peace that doesn't end. 
You think about peace treaties and how this country has a treaty with that country and this has that and this has this. And I was, uh, you can laugh, that's okay. Most of my movie clips deal with kids' movies these days. Uh, Has anybody ever seen Brave? Great movie. But there's these four clans and they all have peace. And they all show up because they want to marry Merida. And they present the suitors, and this happens, this happens. But there's a statement she makes as they go away. She goes, all right, whatever, blah, 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 blah. We'll expect your declarations of war in the morning. There was something that could break that peace. But what Christ has done for us has accomplished peace for eternity. Before enemy, before hostile, before condemnation, after continual peace with God. That's a pretty amazing thought. He's fixed that relationship. Tim Keller has a quote. He's a pretty cool guy. This is what he said. The more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious and electrifying and amazing God's grace appears to you. I love that word electrifying. The realness. We were talking in a, in a meeting about uh, pastor's laundry room. What were we saying? Important the important stuff, that's right. Super spiritual. But there's a, a line that needed to be run in me. I have no idea. I'm just like, well, can you just hook an extension cord to it and run it to the ceiling and drop it down and put? No. And he had the statement, what he asked, was it 220? I don't remember. But there is a respect that he has for it because there's power behind it. And it's going to get your attention. And that's not something you want to grab a hold of. Me, I don't know. I'm just like, just jab it with a screwdriver. I don't know. I'm not. I don't know. But it's electrifying. This, this new life that we have. So the first thing, what does God with us mean to me? It means that we now have a peace with God. The second thing Paul says in this text is in Romans 5, 2. He says, also through him and on the ground of our trust, we have gained access to this grace in which we stand. So let us boast about the hope of experiencing God's glory. There's this word here, access. We have access to God. It's mentioned three times in the New Testament, once in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. Through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access. This is a picture of an introduction. How many of you are willing to just walk up to the White House and try to go inside? Davis. Why would that not work? Because they don't know me. They'd be like, why is this guy, what's he doing? You can't just walk up to the White House. You can't just walk up to the Queen. You can't just walk up to the President. When I worked in property management, we had two residents that were trying out for the, uh, what is it, Secret Service. And they came in and they conducted these amazing interviews. They talked to the neighbors. They talked to the maintenance staff. They talked to us. I'm thinking, man, this, this is intense. There's some serious background. There's, there's formalities. There's procedures. They want to make sure you're not going to be a threat. They want to, and this is what this access is. God says, forget all the formalities. I'm sending Christ to you. God with us. You now have peace and now you have access. You can come to me boldly. Boldness. Christ supersedes all the formalities. Everything. 
that we need to do in our own power is nothing. Because Christ has already done that. Coming and being born in a manger. I will always be reminded of this. When my daughter says her prayers every night, she closes, thank you for coming to earth, being born in a manger, and dying on the cross for us. And you know, it might sound real childish, but man, to think about what that truly means. To not just have peace. I have peace with a lot of people that I don't have access to. There's difference. There's a relationship. This access brings us provision. It brings us protection. It brings us blessing. And it's not something we achieve on our own. It opens this line of communication. We can go to God. God can speak back to us through His Word. The Spirit's empowering us to to live for Him, to make the right decisions. We have access to wisdom. That's an amazing thought. I was talking with my brother-in-law. We were praying this week, and we were praying, God, give him wisdom. Give him discernment. Give him wisdom. Now, these are little things. They don't seem like huge things, but man, remember that whole idea about being hostile and and in and of ourselves? There's really nothing there that points us to God, that pushes us to Him. The Spirit works in us. It gives us access. I think uh, Ryan and Caitlin and some of the teens, we, we went through a study through Psalms about prayer. And it's, it, it was beneficial to me because, I'll be honest, I, I've read through Psalms as like a requirement for class or something, but I never really stopped to read through it. It's poetry, it's pretty, it's a lot of things that I'm just not. I'm not... I'm, I'm not, I'm rough, I'm, I'm, I'm ugly, I'm, you know, it, it's, it, it, but when we stopped and we looked at it, and we looked at some of the things that David said, and it's like he's just written a diary of how he's felt, his fear, his emotions, his anguish, his depression, his, I mean, everything, and that he's able to look at God and he's able to say, I'm just going to like throw up emotionally and verbally, and I don't even know what to make sense of this God. But you do. And that's the access that we have to God. And David has this boldness to come and say, I'm praying, I'm calling out to you. You're going to hear me. You're listening. You turn your ear to me. And I'm trusting that you are going to work in the situation. That's the access that we have to God through Christ. It's this intimacy. It's not a... a a coincidence that Jesus in, in, in his model of prayer refers to him as our father. He's our father. It's not just, well, he's God. Yeah, but there's an intimate, personal level that we can know God. That we can experience God. Not just a, well, you know, it's a force that kind of does things in the nature and, uh, you know, I move things and uh, whatever. There's a real person behind it. You go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, God, He's there, created, He does things. He's involved in our lives. He's involved in every aspect of creation, every breath that you draw, whether you're on the before side or the after side, is a gift that God has given you. And it's your choice, like, hey, do I want to stay in the before? Do I want to experience this peace? Do I want to get things right? Do I want to have this relationship reconciled to God? God has created us to have a relationship with Him. 
And so many times we just go, I don't really, it's not for me. It's not what I want. I'd rather pursue this. I'd rather pursue that. Even if you're here and you are saved, you, we do this. Sometimes on the regular. Thinking about what it means to have God as a father. We don't have to make God loving toward us. Do you you understand that? Does that make sense? We don't have to do anything to earn His favor. Some of you have maybe experienced having to do that with a father. I'm grateful that I grew up with a father that I didn't have to earn his love. I didn't have to earn his favor. I didn't have to go out of my way to say, see, Dad, you know, look, I, I can make you love me. Some of us did. But Christ says, God isn't like that. We have access to God. Christ has reconciled that broken relationship that lets that love flow freely. Before, no access. After, the fullness of God. I mean, He was revealed in the person of Christ. John, 1 John 2, uh, 1 and 2 says, My little children, I'm telling you this so that you will stay away from sin. But if you sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon Himself and brought us into fellowship with God. And He is the forgiveness for our sins, and not only ours, but all the world's. Some big words that are not popping up in here because it's more of a paraphrase. This forgiveness for our sins, this propitiation, these big theological terms, this is what it means. He's the forgiveness of our sins. He's our advocate. He stands before God, granting us that access. And it doesn't matter when we mess up. It doesn't matter what we do. He still stands there and he says, hey, this is your child. This is your son. He's with me. We're together. We have a partnership in this life. This is a direct line of access to the creator of the world. It's an amazing thought. So we have peace with God. We have access to God. And this is what comes next. The rest of that text in Romans says, And not only this, Romans 5, starting in verse 3, Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We talked, God has reconciled us with God. He's restored our good standing. That's our peace. He's given us access to God. We have this personal interaction, relationship with God. And now through the Spirit, we have this idea of joy and peace. How many of you have ever felt something like this? This is what it looks like when I complain to Jesus about how hard my life is. Can I tell you, I, I, I don't like this picture. I really don't. And it's not because the image of the bloody Christ, it's not because it's Mel Gibson, it's not because I don't like this picture because when I look at this picture, I get the feeling that what they're trying to say is, it doesn't matter how bad your life is because uh, look what Jesus did. 
the Bible says that Jesus sympathizes with us. He shares in our grief. He shares in our joy. He shares in our sorrows. He experienced these things as a man. So he didn't have to come and go, well, you know, yeah, I know you had a bad day and I know you experienced this, but man, I had a spear jabbed into my side. So tell me about how that feels. To me, that points to having a hope and a joy. Because I don't, I don't have a relationship with someone who's going to continually look at me and go, oh, you think that's bad? You think that's tough? I had a, a friend in college. Uh, I, I, I highly doubt he'll ever hear the podcast, but his name was Jesse Bochamp. And he was, he was a cool guy. But no matter what you said to him, he'd say, oh, man, that's nothing. Oh, man, that's nothing. Everything. Oh, man, that's nothing. Like, dude, how can you possibly have gone through something? Wait, like, oh, yeah, that's nothing. That's nothing. And then after a while, I was just like, man, I don't want to tell him anything. That's nothing. Like, yeah, I was driving down. I got pulled over and I got a tip. Oh, man, that's nothing. This one time I got pulled over and they seized my car and they put me in jail. And I was like, okay, man, whatever. We don't have an all man that's nothing God. We have a God that works through our tribulations, that works through our sorrows, that stands with us in each of these things. It talks about proven character and how it strengthens us. And it pushes us towards this hope. It pushes us towards this expectation. There's a continual working in us regardless of our circumstance or situation that we can approach with joy. Joy and hope. They kind of go in tandem here. Paul uses the word to exalt when these things come. That's talking about to live in joy. And it pushes us towards this hope that there's an expectation. In all of the Gospels, there's different accounts of what Christ has faced, what he's dealt with. So we don't have to worry about him sitting there going, really? Hmm. There's one time, I've got to tell you this story because it's hilarious. My kids were fighting. And somebody like, really? Yeah, they fight a lot. There was Taryn, I thought Avery was maybe like two or three, and they were playing out under the table. And this is what I hear something, something, something. No, you're not. Blah, blah. No, you're not. I say, what is going on? And I hear Taryn yell, you're not Jesus. I'm like, what is going on? And she yells out, did you die on a cross? Did you walk on water? And she's like having this interaction with, with Avery. And I'm like, what is going on? And she goes, she keeps saying she's Jesus, but she's not. Listen, Jesus is not in the one-up business. It's not about what you've done. It's not about, you know, what he, he, he takes it and says, I want to walk through this with you. This is where we find joy. Because what we learn is joy is not limited to circumstance. Joy is not limited to a situation. Now you want to take this picture here of Christ bloody with the crown of thorns on his head. His Hebrews says that with joy he looked towards the cross. Why? Because he knew that that would reconcile us to God. That we would now have this peace. That we would now have this access. That we would have that right relationship. The opportunity to dwell with God for eternity. I found some uh, cool ideas about where happiness comes from. 
Five rules of happiness. Don't hate, don't worry, give more, expect less, live simply. If you do all those five things, you'll have happiness. Um, I guess. What's the next one say? Take care of yourself. Go for a walk, eat your favorite food, get a haircut, cry if you need to, read a book, take a vacation, have a drink, do what you need to, take care of yourself. Because at the end of the day, you're all you've got. This is my favorite one. Five rules of happiness. Practice gratitude daily. I can get behind that. That I can get behind. Don't rely on no one. I don't know. It was uh, some guy, haiku deck, I don't know. Remember, there are no problems. Um, you can't forget your problems. Don't, because if you forget your bank note... It's not my problem, man. It's my key to happiness. I don't have to pay the bank back. They, they take your car. Be selfless. And here's this one that really bothers me. Number five, have no expectations. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone. They said, well, if I don't have any expectations, I can't get hurt. If I don't have any of this, it doesn't have to bother me. If I don't have to worry about it, doesn't. Listen, Paul says we have an expectation. Happiness is not joy. It's not dependent on circumstances. We are given this opportunity. We have this hope. We have, specifically speaking, an expectation that God is going to do what He says. I was. Uh, I've read. If you've never read The Way to Glory, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that says, "We are half-hearted creatures." Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We'd rather wallow in self-pity, despair, anguish, anxiety, worry. Listen, those are real things. I'm not telling you that worry and anxiety and depression goes away because you have this relationship with God. Those are real things. But what I'm saying is you don't have to sit there and go through it alone. That we are not limited to that. Is it something that might impact us for the rest of your life? Yeah, it very well may. But there's freedom from that. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in, in, in these situations. I love this. We are far too easily pleased. What this looks like is you go to a restaurant, you order something, they bring it out, and it's totally wrong. And instead of going, excuse me, um, this is wrong. You know, I ordered this, and I really wanted what I ordered. We go, no, nah, don't worry about it. We'll just eat it. It's okay. And then we pay full price for it, and we walk out, and we go, that was miserable. I can't believe I did that. It was so stupid. I'll never do that again. You're far too easily pleased. We're satisfied with, with where we're stuck with life. We're satisfied with what we are. We're satisfied with, you know, I'm good. I don't need this. I don't need that. Paul says you are missing out on joy because you are far too easily satisfied. C.S. Lewis says it here. You're missing out on joy because you'd rather sit and stay here. Hope and joy. Access to God. Peace. If you've ever read Surprised by Joy, which is uh, C.S. Lewis's autobiography, he talks about through the book the things that he was trying to fill himself with. 
that you would talk about, I, I love doing this, so I poured myself into these hobbies, and then I got bored with it. And then I poured myself into relationships with people, and then they got bored with me. And then I poured myself into this, and I tried to do that, and everything I did, it just, it got boring. But the one thing that didn't was his relationship that he had with God. And in, the, in, in, in Surprise by Joy, he talks about these signposts, these expectations that joy brings and that hope brings. And he, he talks about like driving to a destination, and every time you pass the sign, you get a little bit more hopeful. Because you know where you're going. It brings a little bit more joy. And I read that and I thought, man, over the past couple of years, I've driven to different places. Pensacola, I drove out to Ohio last summer. And I don't really like driving through Ohio. It's not fun. It's flat. It's straight. There's nothing. But let me tell you, driving home and seeing the miles countdown, I was like, yeah, I'm almost home. This is great. And then I hit the Pennsylvania border, and it got better. And my attitude changed. And then I hit like the, the, the Scranton area, and I was like, I am almost home. And then I'm counting down the exits as I'm going on to 84. And I'm getting off of here. And every signpost, every stop, every mile marker strengthened my hope and it strengthened my joy. Because I didn't want to go to Ohio, but I had to. But as I'm coming home, I'm thinking, I'm going to see my wife. I'm going to see my kids. I'm done with this trip. I don't ever have to go to Ohio again. I probably will. Maybe next year. In the summer, we'll see. But do you understand what I'm saying? Because this is what Paul is talking about. Our hope and our joy. They're signposts that point us to something. They point us to God. Hope is an expectation and desire for something good in the future. And it's not just wishful thinking. If you want to know what wishful thinking looks like, watch a football game with me. Uh, my wife will tell you, Jake Elliott is a kicker for the Eagles. He lines up for a 60-yard field goal, right, Mike? And then he hits it. And then the next game, he lines up for a 15-yard field goal. And I tell my wife, he's going to miss it to the left. And what happens? That's my expectation. My expectation is he's going to miss it. And it's not, that's not what it is. It's not, well, I hope that this is going to happen. I hope that this is going to turn out. I hope that if I go to take my car to the mechanic, he's not going to tell me it's expensive. I hope that if I go to the doctor. No, it's an expectation. There is something good in the future. In in Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about Abraham. He had this hope beyond hope. It wasn't possible. There was no logical explanation for it. There was no mathematical equation that could solve it. God said, you're going to have a son. Through him, the nations are going to be blessed. And ultimately, it's going to lead to Messiah. It's going to lead to this Emmanuel. And at first he laughed, but God said, no, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. And it says, Abraham had hope against hope. It made zero sense. He was too old. His wife was too old. And what happened? This is an expectation that God will keep his word. This is an expectation that through Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, we are offered peace. We are offered access. We have a resurrection. We have a reuniting. I will see my father again. Not just God the Father, my father. It's been five short years. But this is tough. 
What does God with us mean to me? It means through his peace, my past is taken care of. It's no longer significant. It means through his access, my present is taken care of through personal relationship. And it means a joy and hope that my future is secured in the person of Christ. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know what your before and after is right now. I don't know if you've experienced peace, if you're still dwelling in the access thing, if you've not really tapped into this hope and joy. But this morning you can. This is very clear. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God with us. Peace, access, hope, and joy. If you want to take care of anything today, you have questions. I'm here. Pastor John's here. Pastor Derek's here. Mike's here. I mean, there's people all over this auditorium that you could talk with. Maybe you're thinking, maybe it's time that I try to figure out how to move from my before into the after. Maybe it's, I need to figure out how to live in this access. I need to figure out how to, how to, how to tap into this experience, how to, how to have this relationship, and how to put it on the right track. And that's some of the things that pastors talked about these last couple weeks as he's gone through this Titus, this freedom in the Spirit, and living in the Spirit, and, and having this joy. Maybe you're stuck trying to figure out, how can I have hope? You don't know what my situation, I don't know what your situation is. But God does. And he's not sitting there going, yeah, I know. Crown of thorns. Yep, spear in the side. Yeah, I think they may have nailed me to a cross. I don't remember. Do you know what these are? Yeah, these are nail holes. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I love you. Enough to die for you. But I have compassion. I have mercy. Limitless grace. Endless mercy and love. What does that mean to you? That's what it means to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for hope. This expectation that what you've promised is going to come true. Lord, I pray that we would live in that. And that you would strengthen us through the Spirit to rest in that. Lord, I pray for anyone who's sitting here this morning who is stuck in that before who hasn't experienced this peace with God, who, who doesn't know what access to God means, who's not living with a hope and joy, Lord, that you would uh, stir their heart, Lord, that they would come and they would talk with someone today. For those who are stuck in the middle somewhere between hope and joy or stuck in the middle trying to figure out what it means to be filled with the Spirit and live, Lord, that they would also come talk to someone. God with us means we don't have to do it alone. So, Father, help us to remember that as we leave here today. Thank you for being an awesome God. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. You're dismissed.